Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Look who's here. It's Kate Willett. It's a it's a double Catherine show. It's a Catherine t- squared. Kate Willett is the co-host of the Reply Guys podcast. She's also the author of a very good Audible book, Audible audio book called Dirtbag Dirt Anthropologist. Anthropology. And I'm also a Catherine. Anthropologist. Yeah. And she's also a Catherine. Is your yeah. middle name Rose? And, but similar oh, vibes. Right. We did that. Yeah, yeah. Similar vibes. Yeah. Except one yeah. of us is Jewish. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. The blonde one, though. I know. I, I guess I am blonde, which is also weird. Someone once yeah. accused me of stolen valor because I had blonde hair. It looks great. Uh, thanks. Honestly, it's perfect. Oh, we got a hater in the chat. And let me tell you something, hater. Why don't you cough up some money? And I'll actually read your, your, your hate mail. I don't know what your deal is. I'm not going to look at it anymore. Just someone let me know if it gets into Super Chat. And then we can talk to this guy. I get the sense that he's a dude. What do I know? I don't want to typecast my trolls. They could be anything. Can I Can I make fun of one tiny piece of this comment or should I yeah. not reveal anything? Yeah, um, sure, do I, it. I think he meant to call you a scatterbrain, but he well, actually he call called me? you a scatterbrain. Um, I mean, come which, on, man. If you're going to call me, look, you have cause. I mean, I'm literally putting on one of my other earrings right now. But you got to, you can't really pull that. You just lost all your cred because you called someone scatterbrained, but you like were scatterbrained in your. This is scatterbrain. This man. Right. Oh, well, now is we man. know what his real name is. Yeah, scatterbrain. Yeah, scatterbrain. We have an amazing show for you today. We have uh, a couple of amazing parts of it. First of all, we have Kate Willett. Hello. I keep wanting to call her Kate Winslet. Some people have. Have, right? And then we're going to have Shama Sawant, who uh, is amazing. She's a council, city councilwoman in Seattle. She's doing absolutely amazing things. And then we're going to have Adolph Reed, who does absolutely amazing things. I did a little stream last night, last minute. Everyone liked, the, everyone liked what Joe Biden had to say. What did you think of it, Kate? Uh, you know, I was comparing it to the Oscars, and I thought that the, the costumes were much worse for the State of the Union, you know? Yeah. Yeah, not as cute. Um, also, I did want to say really quickly that I have gotten trolled as Kate Winslet sometimes. And um, I've had like random internet bin be like, you look so fucking fat in Titanic, which I think is funny. Shut up. Are <laughs> they real. blind now? Did they get blind since seeing Titanic and seeing you? Are you visible to them? I don't even understand. I, I think they're just really dumb. Really dumb. Yeah, they're scatterbrines. They're scatterbrines. Yeah. You know who kept looking like he was collapsing was uh, Mansion. And Mitt Romney looked like a, a hot mess. He looked like he just got caught in a, he looked like he had sunstroke. There's a lot going on. There's always a lot going on with him. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, the Pelosi and Kamala had the like pink and blue uh, duo, which was very, you know, very trad in a way. Yeah, <laughs> so. stronger together. Stronger together. Stronger together. It. You know, we're building yeah. back better. We're building back oh, better from before. Yeah. I said the I saw today something I, I don't know I saw someone retweeted a tw- an account called Twitter Together. It was like an official Twitter Wait account a that second. was like 
keep your feminism intersectional. Oh my God. Yeah. Was, Did Will Manneker tweet it? I, yeah. Yeah. That must've been who yeah. it was. Yeah. You know what? I got to say though, I got to say something that I went to that account cause I was so curious about it. And that's how I found out that today is no, that this month is guess what, what month this is in uh, international April. blank, blank month. Well, in addition to April. Okay, um, international. I don't think you'll guess. And when you don't guess, I'm going to say it's because you invisibilize them. Mimes. Mimes, you said? Yeah, I was just thinking of who it was easy to invisibilize because you just close your eyes and they're gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Is it Asian American? I don't know. But I'll tell you who. Whose it is. I tweeted it out, guys. So if you are really follow my tweets, you'd know this already. But I'm going to forgive you. Dalit, International Dalit Month. Dalit, who, you know, formerly known as Untouchables uh, in Mm. India. Oh, okay. Very, very rich and uh, ignored history. In fact, I'm going to have someone on to talk about that history. If my computer blew up right now, it would be fine because we already did such a great show. (laughs) Like, we we already learned you... Yeah, where else can you find this out? I bet you no other stream is going to mention... Well... No other stream in the, on this continent. That's probably too much of a stretch. No, I bet you no other stream tonight will mention that it's Dalit Awareness Month. Let me actually get the actual name of it. Dalit Month. On Bedekar. Dalit History Month. That's what it is. Dalit History Month. Okay? Very important. God, it is really... It was inspired by Black History Month. Inspired by Black History Month, a young group of Dalit women started the Dalit History Month in, guess how recent it is? Guess. How? Six years? Almost. Eight. 2013? Oh, that was close. 2013, yeah. yeah. That is really close. I would have thought longer. Uh, Sangapali Aruna started Project Dalit History Month for creating a documentation of Dalit, Adivasi, and Bahajan uh, history and culture. Sangapali Aruna and Senmozi Soundarajan came up with the idea during discussions at Color of Violence Conference in Chicago. Wow. And just so people know, Dalit, uh, Dalits are discriminated because of their caste. I'm real talk. I'm reading from Wikipedia, but I think I'm going to, we'll, we'll find out if it's true or not later. Uh, because of their caste, despite such discrimination being illegal in India, ignorance and absence of Dalits in Indian history by mainstream authors is discussed during Dalit History Month. Issues faced by Dalits are pondered upon by citizens. All right, cool. I'm glad this is a thing. And we're going to have to, I only have a couple of days. In fact, I think I have two days to get, have, to organize, put together a show during Dalit History Month. A lot of pressure I, have, I just created yeah. for myself. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, we're going to pause this story because I want everyone in suspense, but also because we have our next guest. And if she's ready, she can give me the thumbs up. Um, okay. She, of course, she's ready. She's ready for everything. She's ready for, not ready for Hillary. We're not ready for Hillary either, but she's ready for a lot of things. Very impressive. Very impressive person. Um, you know her. You love her. She is a city councilwoman from Seattle, and she is a total badass and does more as a city council mem- woman, city council person, than a lot of people do as senators or members of Congress. So, Kshama Sawant, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. Hey, Shama. Hi. How are you? How are you? How are you? Um, welcome. Thank you for all you do. I just wanted to, to have people find out about 
your latest endeavor. Congratulations on your resolution. Um, and then we can talk about what's happening in your in your campaign. But um, welcome. Tell us about the exciting news that uh, about what just passed. On Monday, the city council passed by seven to one the resolution that my office brought in solidarity with the movement globally, in fact, not just citywide or regionwide, but globally, that is demanding that Biden and other powerful countries in the World Trade Organization uh, allow countries like India, South Africa, Brazil, so on, to produce generic versions of the COVID-19, you know, the life-saving vaccine, because at this moment, the status quo is that billions of people across the world are not going to get access to the vaccine for years. And in the process, literally millions of lives will be lost. This is what public health experts are predicting. And all of this because billionaires and big pharma executives want to put their obscene and endless greed for profit before human lives. And that's why it, it was so crucial that we passed this resolution. And today we had a press conference alongside Chicago socialist alderman Brian Sikcho Lopez and uh, Burbank city council member Constantine Anthony, who are also planning to bring such resolutions to their city council. And tomorrow, we're having a protest in Seattle outside the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation building. Why? Because Bill Gates is one of those billionaires who is putting his own profit before people. And in fact, as a community member said, he's become a vaccine racketeer now. Yeah. A vaccine racketeer, yeah. A vaketeer. True. So does this have any, uh, is this mostly symbolic? Is this to start a conversation? Does it have any teeth? What What are you hoping to achieve with it? Well, obviously, because this is a city council, we don't have legal jurisdiction. We cannot mandate that Biden administration or U.S. Congress do a certain thing. But here's why it's so important is because even though 100 nations in the WTO are saying that you, you need to, this, this is apocalyptic. I mean, if you look at what, what's happening in India, for example, an apocalyptic disaster is unfolding and yet it is requiring us to, to demand that Biden do the right thing. And, and it's important to also note that the, even, even after 100 days of the Biden administration in office, this is a continuation of Donald Trump's um, policy. And that's why uh, this, ha this, ha this resolution has significance because it gives momentum to the movement to keep fighting. Right. And it's kind of pathetic that like this is the first uh, you were here. I mean, this is the it's it's amazing, but it's also pathetic that this is what is getting this into the news. Like there's there is this article about obviously about Bill Gates, but people don't even know that what you're talking about is a thing or that it's an option. Um, and I think something that's really inspiring about your your activism uh, it's funny because you're an actually actually an elected official, which it's 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 like I almost forget because you do such cool things, and usually elected officials stop doing that. But you know something that's so cool about your 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 activism and organizing and also councilship, I guess, is that you really do show people that other things are possible. You know, like the, another world is possible. Um, and I think a lot of people really dismiss things as just like. Pollyanna-ish or, or naive or impossible. And one of the things that I think you do, Sanders did, really is like tr show people that 
we've been taught that, but that's not the actual reality. Like you can make demands for things. Um, so what, what would this look like or could this look like? Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, well, uh, you know, th- there'll be no incentive to work on drugs or, or medical treatment. This is the narrative that is very consciously and systematically pumped every day into the corporate media and Whose interest is this narrative, this falsehood in? It's in the interest of billionaires like Bill Gates, basically the billionaire class, the multimillionaires who make profits. But the reality could not be farther from the truth, right? We, we, we know that the overwhelming majority of clinical innovations and indeed technological innovations in general happen because of public resources and who who pays for the public resources it's ordinary people if you're watching this and you depend on a salary for your for paying your rent or your mortgage then you're one of the taxpayers whose resources have funded this enormously important life-saving clinical research and who does the research it's not the billionaires who do the research it's salaried employees you know researchers technicians uh, clinical analysts who are salaried employees who are extremely dedicated and they care about solving this problem. And most of this research is done in public universities. And once the findings are ready, once the cures are ready, what happens? Big pharma, and this is how capitalism operates, big pharma comes, swoops down, big billionaires swoop down and grab what the so-called intellectual property, and then they make bank from it. I mean, it is obscene, as I said before, the amount of money that these billionaires and these uh, shareholders and executives are making from this vaccine. And this is on top of billionaires having become already more than a trillion dollars richer during the pandemic. So we're not just talking about big pharma. We're talking about Amazon. We're talking about Jeff Bezos, all of them, all of these gangsters who are profiting at the cost of human suffering. And uh, so it, it, it's it, this whole idea that it, this would be, a, it, you would take away the incentive. It is such a lie. But the, the thing is, a system like capitalism needs to peddle lies because otherwise people will, you know, will be empowered. Right. They get hip to it. They'd be aware of what was happening. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, by the way, this is so this is another, okay. I literally was saying today earlier, not, I wasn't planning to, but we started talking about, what was it, Kate? Like Twitter change or something? Twitter, Twitter for good? Oh, uh, Twitter together. Yeah. Twitter together. Yeah. Which yeah. I came across and then I was looking at their account and that's how I learned that this month is month. And I'm bringing that up because I was just on your Twitter page and lo and behold, I got to share this because this is really cool too. You, you had tweeted this. A, Anil Anil Wagde. His uh, name is Anil Wagde. Spoke today on behalf of Indians underscore Seattle in a press conference with council member Kshama Swant held after the C- Seattle City Council passed a resolution urging POTUS to end the U.S. opposition to an intellectual property rights waiver for COVID-19 vaccines. So that's like really amazing. And can I was gu- like what I was going to actually ask you about your the connection for you between um, being from India and uh, this issue, but I would love to know the connection between uh, this issue and being from India and also like what, what, if anything, uh, the Dalit like experience or history uh, has to do with this. Yeah, absolutely. The, the organization that tweeted this out, the um, uh, Ambedkar uh, re- related organization, it refers to Baba Saheb Ambedkar, who was a prominent thinker and activist and revolutionary fighter during India's freedom struggle 
in the uh, first half of the 20th century. And Ambedkar himself was from a Dalit family, which is a, you know, one of the lowest caste, the people who are the most oppressed in India. And that's, you know, hundreds of millions of people. And uh, the question of Dalit oppression is so uh, crucial for us, for the left internationally, uh, including in the United States, for various reasons. One is obviously uh, the most um, immediate things that we see, in fact, even in the tech industry, actually in, in the United States. In fact, there's a class action lawsuit right now that has been filed in California, in the state of California, where uh, 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 tech workers from Dalit backgrounds are facing discrimination by upper caste Indians in the tech sector. So, so it's alive and well. Unfortunately, you can see that you know that 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 evil is brought across the seas. But it's of much more fundamental importance because it's also a revelation of how the global system of uh, capitalism operates. A system like capitalism, where a few people enrich themselves. Uh, to untold degrees at the expense of billions of uh, people, you know, and the rest of humanity, that system can only survive through very systematic and centuries-long divide-and-conquer strategy. And one of the ways in which it, it, it manifests itself is through oppression based on race, oppression based on caste. And so obviously the uh, Dalit oppression in India is not, it's not like it's the processes are a carbon copy of what you see in the US or in other countries, but the fundamental process is the same, which is an oppressive, a deeply oppressive system like feudalism, like capitalism requires such oppressions and not just, uh, you know, oppressions, pre-existing oppressions, but continue to fuel them and re, um, reignite them through uh, new, newly conducted violence. All of that is necessary. And so it's not, it shouldn't, it's not surprising to us that we see racism and police violence to such a degree in the United States. And again, in India, you see just systematic violence being targeted at the Dalit community. And that's why I think for me, as somebody who grew up in India and who's a, who's a Marxist in the United States, I think it's, it's always a reminder for, for me that this is really an international struggle and ultimately the international working class, the global working class, has to unite for a struggle against the global system of capitalism. And we have more in common with working people across, uh, you know, across continents than with uh, other you know, American billionaires who might live a few blocks from here. Right. Um, and of course, the, like it's it's hard to organize around that, though, right? How do we organize around that when there are different laws? You know, big issue like Biden kept, you know, sounded like a major cold warrior last night, uh, except against China, a little against Russia, but really almost almost exclusively against China. But you know, that's a big issue is like how to deal with people um, leaving the country. You know, take shipping out jobs so that the the pay is lower. And then, of course, that creates a lot of, like, anti-solidarity because people are pit, uh, you know, divided and conquered and pitted against each other. So what kind of solutions um, can we be fighting for? I think fundamentally the, our starting point and the political analysis is of crucial importance. I mean, we're not we're not navel gazers, right? We're we're activists. We are here to make actual change. We want, as long as we are alive, we want that we we want our lives to be used to bring about material shifts in human life and uh, you know actually fight the climate crisis. Uh, but all of that has to be based on a very sound political analysis. And the starting point is exactly what we were talking about a few seconds before, which is that 
without an internationalist understanding of capitalism, it is simply impossible to actually build those kinds of links. As you were saying, that's a challenge. How do you build those links? And I think uh, we have to base ourselves on an understanding of why we need international working class solidarity. And then the other component of that is, of course, the class aspect, that it has to be on the basis of uniting oppressed people together on a working class basis, understanding. So, you know, lesson number two, one first one is, of course, this is international. Lesson number two is you don't build solidarity with the bosses, with the billionaires or any of the institutions or individuals who represent their interests, which is why, you know, Socialist Alternative and I are, uh, you know, we're strongly arguing that we cannot build movements and really build for change with inside the Democratic Party. We need working people need a party of our own. And, and, uh, you know, sort of like, I guess the third point I'll add to to uh, in response to your question is that uh, the best way really and the most concrete way to build for this kind of international solidarity, solidarity in addition to the step one and step two is then to get involved in struggles in our own cities and regions and then connect them to nationwide and international struggles. And just one concrete example I'll end on is the $15 an hour minimum wage. You know, our move, 15 now movement here which won just six months after I took office. That happened because of the working class solidarity and the fighting politics of the 15 Now movement based on a socialist strategy. And by, by winning that, we showed that we should not accept the nation, nationwide and international race to the bottom and allow them to pit working people against one another, but instead flip that on its head and say, we're going to win $15 here because guess what? It is going to help working people win in Minneapolis, Boston, New York. Suddenly we're talking about federal $15 minimum wage. It also actually sparked movements in the UK and in India. So that's how we build, like by fighting against the race to the bottom everywhere. Yeah. Um, Kate, did you have a question? I saw you about to, I have more questions, but if you had, I wanted to give you a well, this is back to something um, a couple minutes ago, but uh, from what I understand, it's not just an issue of IP with the vaccines. Like, isn't the Biden administration, aren't they trying to actively prevent the export of the materials needed to make the vaccines? Um, in some cases, prevent India from even like they already have the materials there and they're not allowed to use it for their own population. It's all of it. So the last thing that you said, Paige, that even if you have materials, you're not allowed to do it. And that's because of the patents. You know, it's like saying you can't use this formula. You can't have access to the formula because you need the recipe, so to say, to, to make the vaccine. And uh, without these uh uh, removing these patent restrictions, which is what this resolution was all about, you can't do that. But you're also right about the other thing that you said, that uh, in, in the sense that we need these patent restrictions to be removed immediately, but that's a necessary first step that by itself is not going to do it. We also need raw materials to be able to produce it. And in fact, this latest uh, announcement by Biden, where he finally relented and al- is allowing India to have some materials, Two points to be noted about that. One, it took an international struggle and an outcry from activists to make that happen. It wasn't like Biden woke up and said, I'm going to do the right thing. No, it it took a lot of international pressure to make that happen. And furthermore, you can see from a lot of experts that there is a discussion really about what is it that they even allow to be exported? Is it even the main materials that are needed? So in other words, there is so much... Uh, of detail in all of this, uh, all of these issues that it's not even clear 
to me at this point that they have actually released the materials that need to be released, the most important ones. So in other words, what we need is both the intellectual property restrictions to be removed and for all the materials that are needed for the most widely tested vaccines, for those vaccines to have generic versions to be produced so that billions of people can get vaccinated and in the process save millions of lives. So all of that is needed. And um, can you talk about the the recall campaign? Yes. So not surprisingly, because uh, our office has been unwaveringly fighting for and alongside working class movements, we have actually, as you said, Katie, earlier, we are not uh, a, a typical politician. We use our office to build movements and we win victories. We have such, a, such an unparalleled track record at this point. So it's no surprise that big business and the right wing and indeed the Democratic Party establishment itself is so done with us. They want us out of here. And so there is a recall campaign directed against us. In fact, this recall campaign was launched literally months after, just months after we won our second re-election campaign in 2019. And in that campaign itself, as many of your viewers might know, Amazon and the Chamber of Commerce went all out to try and defeat us. And in fact, in the primary election, two of the Latina so-called progressive council members, Democrats themselves, ran a candidate against us uh, with this whole false narrative, you know, the civility politics All narrative that, yeah. saying, oh, I agree with someone's policies. I, I just don't think she knows but, how to build relationships. Yeah. And I think that I think that that is not an empty accusation. What it reflects is the fact that big business and their political representatives they do want relationships. They they want politicians to bend, elected representatives to bend to their agenda. And when you don't bend to their agenda, then you are described as not being civil, not not having good relationships. Yeah. So it should be it should be a badge of honor that they right. are, that they are using these accusations because what what they're really saying, the subtext is that they are fearful of the movements we build. And they don't want to deal with it anymore. They couldn't defeat us in an election. So now they're using underhanded tactics. And uh, just one other thing is uh, uh, everybody who's watching should know that the Washington state recall law itself is set up to go after working class representatives because the law itself does not require that the charges that are made against me be, even be true. That the truth does not have to be proven. It's not like I get to go to court and defend myself. Uh, it, the charges just have to be stated properly or something like that. I mean, it's 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 set up to go after working class representatives. Yeah. And are you like getting a lot of support? What can people do? To, is this the right link, by the way? I put in the ksamasolidarity.org. Yes. Is that, okay. That's, yes. That's so what, exactly what can right. people do? And um, uh, yeah, what's the I mean, besides like spreading the word, what what is it that you need from people? Well, certainly spreading the word is really crucial because uh, as you, a lot of what you're saying is already indicating, this is an attack not against an individual or even one socialist council office. This is, this is intended to have a chilling effect on social movements and the labor movement as a whole and on the socialist movement, obviously. And if they succeed in recalling our office, then they will absolutely be more emboldened to go after movements. So we all on the left, progressives, we actually have a stake in fighting against this recall and winning against this recall. So we certainly need support from all corners of this country. We also need financial contributions because obviously the billionaires are donating to the other side. Right. <laughs> so we need yeah. people. 
the the list of uh, billionaires that are uh, part of the uh, your, the recall campaign. It's you know you you've got a whole uh, red carpet full yeah. of kind kind of ugly dudes. Yeah, uh, after you, yeah, so, yeah. you should definitely put that on your website. You should have like yeah. a hall of fame. Hall oh, of yeah. shame, hall, hall of shame. shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 These uh, CEOs and billionaires and multimillionaires. And in fact, you know, one other thing uh, that I was reminded of is that uh, it's not only obviously it's Amazon and, you know, the usual suspects, but also a whole a whole host of these, um, hall, you know, who are going to be belonging in the Hall of Shame are real estate barons. Of course. And, you know, and, and, and that's not again, that's not that's not surprising to us at all, because. Um, you know, we have uh, won just unprecedented numbers of renters' rights victories. In fact, just three days before the Supreme Court ruled that the recall could go ahead, we won a huge victory for renters, which is for all renters facing eviction to have the right to a publicly funded lawyer. And the establishment was absolutely against it. They tried all kinds of underhanded ways to insert really insidious means testing loopholes. They didn't win because we built such a fiery campaign against it. And then three days later, the recall says, oh, I, I, you know, it, it's fair to uh, recall uh, someone, you know, our office, even though we are fighting for it. But it's, it's no surprise there's a link, you know, corporate landlords and property management corporations do not like what we've done. Yeah. Well, you welcome their hatred. As, yes. Yes. Uh, FDR said, and then Bernie said, um, and, uh, w- I mean, what, what else I wanted to make sure you have the chance to talk about whatever you want to talk about, because, uh, you know, you're in an important moment. I have more questions for you, but what's, what no, else please, do you uh, want to make sure no, that we ask, ask oh, okay. questions? Um, what, want to know your thoughts on the celebration of Kamala Harris as a, obviously as black and also, uh, South Asian, uh, her father's Jamaican. He's very, in a really cool, chill way, kind of, uh, disav- I don't know if he's disavowed her, but after she, on The Breakfast Club, when they asked if she had ever smoked pot, she was like, yeah, my family's Jamaican. And the dad was like, I'm glad th- that your ancestors aren't alive to see this. He's a Marxist professor. He's a Marxist <laughs> economist himself. And um, uh, and her mother, of course, is from India. And I want to know what you thought of the discussion about her background Um I think that uh, it's a good example of how somebody's personal identity uh, cannot be a guarantee and is not indeed a guarantee that they will actually stand for the interests of the vast majority of the community that is represented by their identity. In other words, if you look at the Biden administration as a whole, and obviously Kamala Harris is very prominent because she's the vice president, but if you look at his whole cabinet, there are so many individuals who are people of color, but just to name one of them, Cedric Richmond, his oh. you know, so-called liaison on climate uh, fossil yeah. fuel issues. I mean, the guy is the biggest recipient of fossil fuel money and his district in Louisiana uh, includes and encompasses um, one of the, I think the 10 Cancer most- Cancer Alley or something? Yeah, 10 most exactly polluted tracks in the United States. This is- absolutely scandalous. So because Cedric Richmond is black, does he represent the interests of the vast majority of black and people of color communities who are on the front lines of the ravages of the climate crisis? Not to mention the specific black communities who were destroyed in Hurricane Katrina 
Absolutely not. So in the same sense, you know, Kamala Harris might be half a black American, but she was the one, wasn't she the one who boasted about being the top cop? And so I think we have to, yeah. we have to evaluate, you know, obviously, uh, we, you know, it, it is completely uh, necessary. And also it, it is our fundamental moral and political obligation on the left, especially the socialist left, to be actively fighting against oppression. Uh, it is Im important that so many of us were marching shoulder to shoulder with our community members in the Black Lives Matter protest. And the fight against oppression is not a side issue. It is it is uh, very much part and parcel of the fight against capitalism. But we have to understand that that is going to happen. I mean, that fight is going to be successful if we understand that there is no uh, there is no, uh, we're not going to address black oppression, for example, on the basis of some idea of black capitalism. That is not going to be the savior because, you know, we should remember Malcolm X's words. You can't have capitalism without racism. In other words, capitalism is the system that creates these oppressions. And so the fight against black oppression has to be linked to the fight against capitalism itself. And so we cannot rely on uh, the representatives of the interests of capitalism, whatever skin color they might be, and in, and we're seeing that in real life, even in Seattle. You know, you know, like if you go from Congress to Seattle, see the Seattle City Council is majority women of color and super majority women, and yet, yet even today, where are where is the fight? The fight is with my office and the working class movement fighting to win the Amazon tax, fighting to defund the police fighting to get renters, uh, you know, public funding for attorneys when they're facing eviction, fighting for all of these things. And so ultimately, the identity is not the guarantee. Which which side are they on in terms of the class lines? That matters. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. representation is important, but it's, it's, it's necessary but insufficient. And as we can see frequently, it's actually like used as a, can be used as a distraction. Um, this, I want to just show uh, this tweet, which was amazing, speaking of Cedric Richmond. So when Cedric Richmond was named, Sunrise Movement rightfully uh, expressed disappointment, right? Because they wanted like a zero fossil fuel, zero corporate, zero Wall Street, zero corrupt, whatever uh, pledge, which they obviously didn't get. And so they released a statement and Jonathan Martin had the gall. He's, he's a reporter, a reporter at The New York Times. And I love that he actually tweeted this thing out loud uh, or whatever, visibly. 21 preview, picking a fight from the start with the most influential black staffer in the White House who represented an energy heavy district. And then he quotes Sunrise Movement. Cedric Richmond's hire is be betrayal due to big oil ties and silence on pollution in his district. Like you, it's so heavy handed. Like be a little yeah. bit more subtle. You're basically just saying this person is black and influential. Um, why are you complaining about him? Uh, also, he lives in a in an energy heavy district, and it reminds me a bit of the whole like that trope of it's easy to be progressive when you're a straight white man that we saw a lot in like 2016. And uh, wanted to know your thoughts on on that. You know, it, it, what you just said about you know it's easy to be progressive if you're a, a white man. I mean, such attacks were leveled at Bernie Sanders, and if you look at who his some of his sub, big support bases were it was young women it was black community members it was people who understood that really this system is not working for them and that 
they need this kind of program, you know, like, for example, you know, the things that Bernie was talking about, taxing Wall Street to make universities free and to have Medicare for all, to actually, you know, to cancel student debt. So if you look at all these policies, the $15 an hour minimum wage, I mean, the Democrats have completely sold out on the $15, federal $15 minimum wage. Well, who do we think are going to be the most benefited uh, by the $15 minimum wage. It is communities of color. It is women. It is our immigrant workers. And so when they say that, oh, you cannot criticize somebody who is a person of color, but that we are also the people who are not going to let you win 15. Well, whose interests are they upholding? They're not upholding the interests of black community members. They're upholding the interests of Wall Street. Let's be clear. Yeah. Um, and, uh, any, any other, any final thoughts that you have? I know you're super busy. Um, I got to have another chat with you once, like, I, I want to do it. I'm so curious about like your life and your story. We'll have to do that another time, uh, pre-taped, but, um, a- anything else? Uh, someone asked about your thoughts on the pro act. What, what did you think about, uh, Biden's speech yesterday? It's great to know that he, uh, nominally supports $15 an hour, but I guess he had to step aside because that parliamentarian, uh, oh, yes. The yeah. parliamentarian that nobody had heard about. Yeah, I and then know. Suddenly that was the most important uh, piece <laughs> of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, uh, I think we have one last thing I'll say, and I'm obviously I'll be delighted to be to be back on your show whenever you, you want me back. But the thing is, uh, you know, it's it, it's crucial to understand that uh, people are understandably, you know, myself included, you know, absolutely uh, relieved that the Trump administration has ended. And it was important that voters in America delivered that strong repudiation of his reactionary policies. And uh, at the same time, it's important to understand that the stimulus uh, package, you know, all of the other, you know, even the, the child care benefits, all of this is crucial. At this moment, it is a lifeline in people's lives. Uh, and uh, that uh, it, it, that those policies had to be enacted one on because Biden and the Democrats face the pressure of being different than Donald Trump, and also because they want to save their own system that is in deep, deep crisis. I mean, unprecedented crisis. So it's important that they did it, but also we have to understand why they did it. It was not out of beneficence, but it's because they they're, they're being forced to, and so we can see that that is why. They're doing only what's necessary and nothing more than that. So uh, you you think that the Democratic establishment is going to easily pass $15 an hour? No. Are they going to do Medicare for all? Hell no. Uh, not without a fight. And so, you know, ultimately, we have to build mass movements and the labor movement has to be a crucial component of it. And, and then not to mention the two crises that are staring us in the face. One is immediately going to hit people now as the eviction moratoriums start coming to a close is the tsunami of evictions that is going to go up. I mean, the statistics are stunning. As soon as there's even a bit of news of economic recovery, corporate landlords and all the big real estate guns, they are just chomping at the bit. Already rent increases are back, you know, the increases themselves are back to stratospheric levels. And then the other issue that we should talk about in more detail uh, sometime later is the issue of climate change. I mean, this, yeah. the climate crisis is, 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 I mean, it's just to give you one statistic during the pandemic year, when energy use had plummeted because people were not flying, you know, people were stay at home. Uh, we saw during this pandemic year, 60 of the largest global banks underwrite 
four, nearly $4 trillion worth of new fossil fuel projects. These are new $4 trillion. So not only, it's not as if, oh, it's bad news. We are not fast enough on track to change. No, the bad news is that we are going the other way. We are, the planet is going off the cliff. And this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. This is real. And so the question of building, you know, urgently building independent mass movements, meaning mass movements independent of the establishment and big business, that is so real. And, you know, I, I would love to for us to go more into that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we'll have to have you back. Uh, someone asked if you ever pl- plan to run for state legislature. And then I want to final question is you are now a dual citizen, I believe, of uh, Socialist Alternative and uh, DSA. So how is <laughs> that? Am. Sorry, what was that? How is that? Or what, what is Oh, you're a dual citizen of those two, right? So yes. how, what's it like? Uh, is it disorienting? Uh, do you feel like the same person? Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then someone asked if you're going to run for state legislature. You know what? What we do in the future obviously depends on uh, what we feel. What we feel is in the best interest of building the larger movement. And you know the. Uh, so that's why I don't. Sorry, I don't have whoever's asking. I don't have a yes or no answer in the sense that it's not my personal decision. Even running for city council was not my personal decision. Socialist alternative as a whole. You know, we are a democratic organization where our members discuss, debate, and vote on every crucial decision for our organization, you know, including should we run a campaign, what the campaign platform should be, who the candidate should be. And to be brutally honest, uh, if it was left to me, would I choose this? No, of course not. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be in the spotlight. But the, th- the, the point is that that is actually, a, a, it, we should not, you know, it's, it's a, the, the, the model I'm describing that socialist alternative uses, I think is a very healthy approach to politics because it is the complete opposite of personality and career-based politics. This is movement-based politics where we are crystal clear that if we win an office, it is for building the working class movement, for building the socialist movement. It is absolutely not about any one person's career. And so again, it's not a coincidence that I only take home an average worker's wage and the rest of my salary goes into a solidarity fund after taxes. And and why awesome. did you join, by the way, uh, uh, DSA? What what are you hoping to achieve by being a member of, uh, of both organizations? Yeah, so uh, just uh, you, so your viewers know, I mean, I was, uh, I, I joined recently, but many of my fellow members of Socialist Alternative have already become members for years. I mean, uh, they've been members for I years. So yeah. yeah, it's not, a, it's not, a, it just became news because I, I joined. Uh, but uh, the reason many of us have joined, and not all of our members have joined DSA, some of our members have joined DSA, but the reason we have joined is because we believe, first of all, that both the growth in DSA and the growth in Socialist Alternative all of this reflects that we are in a completely changed period where there are huge openings for building not just movements in general, which is absolutely true, but also specifically the socialist movement. And we see the growth in DSA in a very positive light. It's important that this happening. Uh, but we also feel that socialist alternative has uh, a role to play in, in the debates that are to come. And we have to have serious discussions. You know, What should be the program for the socialist movement on climate, uh, on the, on uh, you know addressing the climate crisis, what kind of election campaigns should we run? What kind of candidates do we need? What kind of demand should we put on our candidates? What kind of a working class party do we need in order for uh, you know uh, as a political vehicle for future movements? So these are all very serious questions for the socialist movement, and we believe socialist alternative has many valuable contributions to make and also learn from. You know, we want to engage in that debate. 
and we, but we want to engage in a politicized debate. We're not interested in any kind of personality conflict or anything like that, uh, because we feel that these serious debates are going to be crucial because they will provide the building blocks of the analysis that we need for our future activism. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Definitely come back. Love to have you on again. You're always so great to talk to and you inspire everyone. So, well, all the good people, you know, you inspire everyone. You inspire haters who who suck are going to be in the (laughs) hall of shame and then you inspire the good people. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you, Paige, Katie. Really appreciate it and uh, look forward to it. Great. Bye. Bye. Nice to talk to you again, Sean. Likewise. Thank you. That was great, right, guys? That was so, so fun. So great. She's, I'm, She's yeah, so I mean, awesome. I, always, I, I feel like I have to cut myself off because I would just keep talking to her and asking her questions. But I know she's got a, a you know, a, a city to help run, to council. She's also got a recall election to fight. But, yeah, she's awesome. So, guys, um, we are. We still have a couple. I mean, the show isn't even over. Oh, Kate, do you, what time do you have to leave by? I got to head out to my show in just a minute here. Okay. Well, I'm going to swap you in for another awesome person. It's so option. good to see okay. you. Yeah, <laughs> you too. Care, bye. All right, bye. Professor Reed, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Good, thanks. Look, we match. Uh, oh, well, we do, don't we? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, you know, uh, the last time I was on with you, um, I had my sole experience of being a Twitter target for about 24 hours. Oh yeah, you got in trouble, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you you often do, but I guess it was it was like a very quick turnover. Yeah, ridiculous. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, the whole thing was, but yeah, because you know, I'm not on Twitter, so so I don't usually. Uh, so, so 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 I've never been part of this thing in my life, but, but just reading the comments. Right. I, I, oh, yeah. I think they were mad at you because you said something about Angela Nagel. And just in passing, too. Yeah. All I said was, but, and, um, and uh, what's his name? Um, Klein. Oh, Julius uh, Klein? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and he got his ass on his shoulders and was. Um, and oh, yeah, was I think they were trying to pretend you were an anti Semite. That's what it was because. Uh, which was ridiculous because the whole point is, which I found very funny. Um, so you can use me as your Jewish shield, but <laughs> you were saying how you thought Julius Klein, that's his name, Julius Klein, right? From some right wing thing. You thought he was like an older J- Jewish, like neocon, but he turned out right. to be a younger Germanic. Right. Like exactly. Montanan or something. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but anyway, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. How was the one? Good. She was great. Yeah. She was really um, great. Yeah, uh, good. I had to do a class for a friend of mine at Fordham, and and like that went on for an hour and a half. So I oh, needed, okay. Uh, well, thank you for that. making time for this. Oh yeah, sure. Um, you actually, we should have you on another time because you would have a really cool debate. I think about like, uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, what what is to be done, so to speak, about police? Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And everyone here probably already knows, but I'll I'll give your your official ba- uh, bio, uh, Adolph Reed is Professor Emeritus at the University of Pennsylvania, political scientist, editor of Nonsite, um, and he is the author of several books and articles. I'll just name some of the books. Class Notes, Posing as Politics and Other Thoughts on the American Scene, um, W.B. Du Bois and American Political Thought, Fabianism and the Color Line, The Jesse Jackson Phenomenon, the Crisis of Purpose in Afro-American Politics, and Stirrings in the Jug, Black Politics in the Post-Segregation Era. Cool. And so 
welcome again. And yeah, what did you watch? Did you see Biden's uh, speech last night? Did you spare yourself because it was really painful and boring anyway? Yeah, and I spared myself. Yeah. And I also spared myself the commentary. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know. I mean, you it, didn't miss anything. Yeah, I didn't think I did. I mean, yeah. when when uh, Jimmy Carter um, went up to Camp David, uh, you know, uh, midway through his term, and he came back down showing um, Christopher Lash's The Culture of Narcissism and 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 gave us a speech about um, um, you know how we need to lower our expectations and figure out how to do do more with less and what struck me was that the commentary from the network bigwigs i think it was john chancellor was the one i stumbled on was talking about shit like how you know carter used to part his hair on the side like bobby kennedy and and now he's moved it up closer to the top, like um, you know FDR, to mark the severity of the moment. And I said, okay, I'm never watching this shit again. Yeah, right. Total um, waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, I'm trying to think of any of the funny moments. Oh, the best part was the response from um, Tim Scott. Oh Lord, I'm sure that was really funny. Yeah, that was very uh, entertaining. So what did he have to say? What did he have to say? He talked about how progress. He had been called the N word by progressives. How this country isn't racist. Uh, he actually it was kind of moving. He talked about how he, his grandfather um, would read the newspaper at the table, but didn't know how to read, which actually I found moving because um, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. he wanted to set a good example for him. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, mostly we, his voice is just incredibly annoying. He seems like a class, like a school monitor type of kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's I mean, he, he really did play it up. The China is bad. China competition okay. uh, stuff. And uh, he did have one line justifying, you know, uh, intellectual proper, uh, you know, intellectual property. Sarah Lazar, shout out to Sarah Lazar. She actually caught it. Um, you know, that's and that's one of the things that uh, that Sawant did has done in um, in Seattle. They passed a resolution like calling on Biden to, um, you know, uh, let basically people make uh, vaccines. Mm-hmm. You know, abroad, which is it is yeah. so dumb that he that that people are not doing that because right. like you just have to be self interested. You don't have to care about people, right? In no, other countries, good. yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, what what are your thoughts on Biden's first hundred days? Um. And what are your thoughts on you know we had the the Chauvin verdict, um. Right. Also, uh, like more crimes and more police murders that are coming right. to the surface, um. I very naively was kind of shocked that there was another person killed with the with the knee on the neck. I yeah. I, I thought that like I guess there is no accountability. I don't know. You, you tell me your your well, thoughts. Well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I was struck by that too. I mean, uh, but I guess this one had a knee on the back. I think, right? Yeah, uh, both. Yeah, uh, the big dude on the west coast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, I tell you, let me start with Biden and yeah. and a uh, work. Uh, back that because I think they're both important. I mean, Biden Biden's first first hundred days have been a lot better than than a lot of us would have had hopes to expect, right? Um, and like from my um, precincts, uh, like the labor law stuff that they're doing and the infrastructure spending, which has uh, also, some possible in, in, in 
possible implications for giving us some more space with uh, labor law um, are are good, and they give us breathing room, right? I mean, I, but right. but I don't think it's um, well. I think it's important to think of it as temporary breathing room. Uh, I mean, rather than putting us on the step steps to transformation, of right. course. Um, because I think, uh, so, so I, so I just finished reading Adam Tooze's Crashed, uh, and w- one of the things I came away from that with is a, um, a reinforced sense that you know, the ruling class basically, um, has an ideological commitment that's flexible enough, right? Right. That, um, that they could get behind market fundamentalism when that worked for them, uh, and then could 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 permit um, sort of I kind of hesitate to call these guys Keynesians, but like Ruben and right. uh, Brian Dees and and even Larry Summers, who were never monetarist ideologues, uh, and who and I think someplace uh, you know, between. Um, the Great Recession, and and the crash like in Europe a couple of years later, and the emergence of Trumpism, and then especially January sixth, mm-hmm. has put enough of them in, in a position, or, or, or I guess the best way to to characterize it is that there was some of them out there who were inclined to accept that government uh, should. Take the, the the edges off of um, steep inequality, um, and that there's an underlying stagnation to the U.S. economy, if not the global economy. And what that means, just like it meant in 1940, is that government has has a role to play. And I think, as one of them put it, uh, in in escorting capital to investment opportunities. Right. So. To create the conditions for um, for for un- unlocking private investment, okay, and what that means is that some of them will even are inclined to support strengthening the labor movement, right? Right. Um, but they're not really committed to any deep sort of re- redistribution, or 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 I doubt that they are, or to um, um, to a serious re- reinvigoration of the public sector, for instance, uh, right? I think that they're uh, that they see the role of the public sector as um, clearing away log jams that uh, that have impeded private capital, right? So, if you look at it that way, I think it makes sense for us to breathe a sigh of relief that that Trumpism is over for the moment, and that. Enough of the ruling class that was concerned about Trumpism and uh, authoritarian tendencies within nationalist neoliberalism uh, to do something about it. Because for me, like until uh, I mean, until after January sixth, uh, I thought it was an open question as to because you know the bourgeoisie is going to be okay, right? If the neoliberalism is uh, is democratic or if it's authoritarian. Uh, right, um, but right. the downside of it is, you know, I suspect that one of the reasons 
that um, Brian Dees and and that crowd have been able to uh, you know get some space to operate right is that um, that 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 they all are pretty convinced that they've defeated the left right mm. so so we aren't a problem anymore so like if we aren't a problem the problem they're concerned about is Trumpism and and what that means is that they can make moves like the sort that they're making and you not have to worry about any um, left left insurgency that'll push them farther than they want to go right so that's my take on biden right i mean i've um i'm i'm as prepared to breathe a sigh of relief as anybody else but you know, i don't think we're coming out of this with natural health care or right or, or with any of the other stuff that we need and one of the concerns then is the extent to which people who are who, or who see themselves as leftist or are, um, or I mean, the kind of liberals who who, who want to be reformists um, will will be will um, put put more um, faith and hope uh, into the Biden administration than than they should, and you know we'll be back here again. Right. But, right. I mean, like a friend of mine has been saying uh, that this. Um, this pattern of, of where where we can win some moderate social democratic light kind of reforms un, uh, until the ruling class thinks it's gone too far and they'll take it away from us violently again. Um, as my friend put it, that can go on until the sun burns out, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we'll see about Biden. I, I mean, I think it's... Um, um, I think they're improvising, which frankly is a good thing. Uh, and um, I don't know. I mean, their policy on Latin America looks like it's going to be every bit as fucked up as their predecessors. Um, and now, um, so um, they're they're prepared like to reinvigorate the uh, the Cold War, right? Right. Um, so so there's more of that. I mean, and I guess one of the things in the spirit of uh, uh, Leo Panitz and uh, Sam Sam Gendon, one of the considerations is that you know Trump has has managed to screw up. Um, um, uh, 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 I mean, the international uh, order of uh, of things enough that I guess the Biden administration has as one of its priorities um, you know, you know, to reassert. Right. Um, um, Central role, role of the U.S. in uh, maintaining the global system. Yeah, and telling Haitians not to come here. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we just right. played a clip earlier. I don't know if you saw this of Kamala Harris mm-hmm. talking about the root causes of immigration from Central America, and she literally—you would love this. She like it's—it's it's like you can't make it up. It was uh-huh. um, uh, climate change, like not having adapt adaptability to climate change it was like violence against um lgbtq people afro descendants oh I mean, my god yeah. oh i'll my show god. it to you i think this person blocked me that's why i can't let's see hmm. um okay here it is yeah can you not block me delante brad if i send it to you can you play it if you're logged in i just can't because this person has blocked me 
Okay, one second. More Twitter drama that you're you're luckily not exposed to. <laughs> okay, hold on. Why did the person block you? This is a curiosity. I don't know. I don't know what I've. I don't know. I mean, someone. Uh, oh, this is. That's a good question. I don't know why they blocked me. I don't know what I did wrong. But uh, yeah, this. Who Delante? If you get offended by my tweets, just imagine what's in my drafts. Okay, fair warning. Poverty and the lack, therefore, of economic opportunities, the issue of extreme weather conditions uh, and the lack of climate adaptation, as well as corruption and the lack of good governance, and violence against women, indigenous people, LGBTQ people, and Afro-descendants. That's the whole fucking country. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's... Okay, also, now I get why. This is so funny. The person who tweeted that out wrote, Vice President Kamala Harris tells the Guatemalan president to his face that political corruption, violence against LGBT people and Afro-descendants are some of the root causes of migration to America. I kind of thought he, like, was criticizing her, but no, he was actually giving her props <laughs> for being bold. And now I get why he's, he, he, he blocks oh me. He's like a, a, a Kamala fan. And the reason I know that is because his banner picture is Kamala and Biden. And then his like pinned tweet is, oh my God, y'all, I just met Kamala Harris. Okay, now I get it. I really didn't understand it. I was like, why would someone who was making fun of Kamala Harris uh, block me? But right. he's actually, you know. Not making fun of her. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Lord have mercy. Yeah, so it's just like the best wokeification of imperialism. No, that's truly amazing. I, I mean, so I don't know about you, but for the last six or eight months, maybe, um, it, it's been almost a daily experience for me. Like, even though I know better, like things don't work this way, but it's but 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 it's been almost a daily experience that that um, the, the daily expose. Right of the class character of this woke politics shit, just seems to to be getting more and more explicit and and undeniable daily, and my impulse, which I know is wrong, is 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 to think, uh, yeah, okay, well maybe this will be the one. I know right, at the bridge too far, and right. and and I know it's not, it's it's not only wrong, like I've written against it right for years. Because things don't 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 work that way, but it's almost like a natural human tendency to think that this okay, they can't rationalize this one, and then it turns out they don't have to rationalize. Yeah, right. Like because you get people tweeting like that guy did that that was yeah. you know a bold. Yeah. yeah, this is just just to not to obsess over this, but here I, I just so you can actually see the text. I mean, it's just stunning. Mm -hmm. um, and this is from an article. So there are lo longstanding issues that are often called the root cause of immigration. We are looking at the issue of poverty and the lack, therefore, of economic opportunities, the issue of extreme weather conditions and the lack of climate adaptation, as well as corruption, the lack of good governance and violence against women, indigenous people, LGBTQ people and Afro descendants. Wow. And wow. Uh, yeah. And then what's also funny about that is just as that was a positive tweet, this was from an article. Uh at the Washington Blade, which said Harris anti-LGBTQ violence is the root cause of migration from Guatemala, which is not actually really, I mean, it was one of the many things she attributed right. it to, yeah. but it's funny that that's, you know. Wow, they, Jesus yeah. Christ. 
Yeah. And so I, I should have offered a trigger warning, by the way, to everyone watching. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, but I mean, that's there or, or that's a version of, of, of Trump's um, conspiracies. Right. Right. Or, or, yeah. right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Look every place except what, what we've been doing here for the last right. years. Yeah. Uh, right. And it's like we, we obviously care about indigenous people, which is why we supported like the Contras. Right. We care about women's rights, you know. Right. Um, and uh, and uh, Rio Smart, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Major, yeah, I mean, major. Yeah. Latin, well, he was Latinx. So there you go. <laughs> well, we that's should, true. Oh. We should just wokeify everyone, like yeah. wokeify well, all of the foreign intervention. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, so speaking of the woke, um, uh, in my friend's class, one of the students, um, what they're generally pretty good. One was like a pure ideologue, but uh, but when um, this one guy asked me a question, like in my response to him, uh, I mentioned something about Latinos, and I said, "So, so I'm not going to use Latinx because, among other things, uh, I mean, nobody in Latin America uses it, and it's like, uh, and I take it as a form of linguistic imperialism, but." Uh, a young woman who I think was the one who uh, who went on a privilege rant toward the end um, called out, "Yes, they do. You use it in Latin America." I'm thinking, "Come on, who the fuck are you kidding?" Right? I mean, maybe your friends, because uh, um, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure where her f- right where was from, but she felt she had a um, pr- proprietary or she had enough of a proprietary connection to be able to declaim on what people in Latin America or on how people in Latin America refer to themselves. But yeah, no, no, none of the wokeification is, uh, is, is becoming incredible. Speaking of which, um, so the election in Ecuador, right? Yeah. Right. So I, I was intrigued to learn that Ecuador now has its own version of, of Brazil's um, Marina Silva. Right. But, Oh, um, the the the, um, the indigenous um, environmentalist dude uh, pro corporate backed by the U.S. Right. Um, and and uh, helped to swing the election to the right winger, right. Um, but what once again, like um, you know, every case of that is like an exception. So right, right. And he's the bad one. Right. Something that I want to ask you about is uh, the – well, actually, I didn't plan to ask you about this, but now, now that you mentioned the, the kind of the sigh of relief and the breathing room, uh-huh. uh, what do you think would have happened under Trump? Like what would, it, what would he have done had he stayed in God office? Knows. <clears throat> and it's not so much Trump, but the, but, but, but the people with more um, – um, who, who were less lazy around him. I mean yeah. – no, I mean, uh, if 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 Trump has had another four four years, um, you know, the the judiciary would be even worse, right? Mm, yeah. Um, but voter suppression would would be worse. Uh, hit, um, the pattern of appointments up and down in the federal government would, would be worse, and and like my friends and I have been you know, joking with the gallows humor, right? Like, but, but a lot of us might be in jail, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right before the end of his second term. Um, 
uh, I mean, my side, and you know, I don't, and 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 I normally don't think about that kind of stuff. But but my solace, uh, I was saying what I've been saying to friends is that I, I'm assuming that when the roundup started, um, you know, they would go first for uh, the loudmouth posers on the internet, which because they're more conspicuous, and like that might give the rest of us. Right. Um, time, time to get a, um, right. a toiletries bag and head to Canada. Right. Right. Or first they went for the loud mouse on the internet, and I didn't say anything because I was making a toiletries bag. <laughs> <laughs> so we make that post. Oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and we also spent a lot of time doing all kinds of versions of that, too, by the way. Uh, of a play, of bringing changes on Pastor Nemo, right? Yeah. Um, yeah no, no, so I mean, I think, and that's the other thing about it. I mean, uh, I mean, the people who were, you know, I can't vote for Biden. Uh, I thought, okay, the, well, th- this is just not a serious politics, right? This is a um, performance of the self in public as a politics. Yeah, you you had a great you had the best slogan for people who are reluctant to vote for Biden, I think, which was some Biden Harris because sometimes you got to clean the damn toilet. Right, right, right. That's right, <laughs> and that's all it is. That's all. Well, that's all it ever could be. But I mean, yeah. you know, and it, and 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 as I've said too, I mean, most of us who who have voted have cast at least sometimes votes for people we couldn't stand, right? I mean, like, um, the um, electoral realm isn't where you should go to um, look, look to fulfill your greatest aspirations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, unless you, I mean, if you live in a sw- in a, a safe state or whatever, yeah, uh, yeah. then you have a, you can do whatever you want. Um, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I voted for Ralph in 2000. Yeah. Because I lived in Connecticut. Right. And and also, like I decided, yeah, the only actual vote I've ever cast for a Republican in my life was in, in the Senate race in 1988 when uh, Neil Lowell was was running against Lieberman. Oh, and, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, Weicker was the more progressive candidate, like on every issue. So and I swore it in. I'm never going to vote for Lieberman. And and I would have had to vote. For Joe in 2000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And what are your thoughts now? Because you were talking early on about like Black Lives Matter and and how, uh, you know, noteworthy it was that you had these pretty evil corporations Mm -hmm. uh, like donating or virtue signaling. Uh, What what what? What do you think? I mean, what what has been done? Has has anything like good come out of it? Has um, how would you describe the movement now? A year, yeah. you know, almost a year after the right. Protests. Well, I, I'm you know, like first thing is like I was always very uh, reluctant to call it a movement because it right. just didn't satisfy my understanding of what a movement is. Um, and uh, I, I mean, that's what these things are now. I mean, I don't. Um, well, it's funny. What I mean, like. Not like the Obama thing, right? Like um, my son was just telling me that there, there's a little um, Eddie, maybe, uh, of 
of people on on the internet who think I'm especially prescient uh, because of the Obama thing. And like, you know, right. I have to be, but I just have to be around and keep your eyes open. Was that the Village Voice that you wrote that? Yeah, piece? yeah. Uh, and, um, and, you know, I mean, um, it, it's the same with the BLM stuff. Like, you can look at it and see what it is, right? There's no movement there. There are precedents, right? And I saw, um, and then, but like the whole thing, um, I mentioned this someplace, uh, you know, not too long ago as well. Like, there's a, the cycle of authenticity, well, you know, the product cycle, basically, of the authenticity. What with that kind of politics, it always makes me think of of um, the commercial or industrial logic of gangster rap in, in the early '90s, right? Like a group comes up out of nowhere, off off the streets of Brooklyn, the Bronx, right, uh, you know, Oakland, whatever, and they're authentically expressing the angst and the rage and the um, revolutionary fervor of of inner city youth and s- selling all those records like tough and middle class white kids in the suburbs. Um, so they do what any artist wants to do. They get a larger audience and they, and they cross over. Well, crossing over be- becomes the spur to, to uh, kick in or to kick off the next cycle, right? Because the group that successfully crosses over is there to be defined as sellouts by the next one coming up, and then they and then they repeat the cycle and stuff. So to take that back to Black Lives Matter, um, the first powerful voice was um, I'm now I'm blacking on his name. Um, Deray. Uh, right. I mean, DeRay McCaslin, like my son just started calling him Stingray McGillicuddy. Oh. And that's just stuck in my head. I couldn't get, I mean, DeRay in for a minute. So he was the authentic voice of Black Lives Matter till he wasn't, right? Till, till people started accusing him of commercializing it. So then the three women uh, who um, founded uh, you, you know, the movement by creating the hashtag well, in the first place, you, you you don't found a movement, right? But there's no individual that founds a movement. That's like, you know, a 1939 John Garfield movie version of what a revolution is. Right. Uh, um, or, you know, a guy shows up, rips his shirt off, gets on top of the car with, with a bullhorn, and then the people rise. Yeah. Right? Or like the Arab Spring or Occupy, they're all versions of the same thing. Um, but... But then, like, I was on a faculty discussion group about this, uh, about what the teaching after Black Lives Matter. And but one of my colleagues, who's a very smart, smart person, said it's, it's very important for us to acknowledge that this movement was, this hashtag was created by these three queer black women. And... And and I wasn't even trying to be contentious. It was just like an innocent question. I said, well, well why? What, what's important about that, right? Uh, because it just seems to me, and I didn't say this to my colleague, but but but, but it always seemed to me like that was a branding exercise, mm. right? And then I saw um, the three of them on a panel someplace on TV, and I was really kind of freaked out because 
uh, in, in watching Garza speaking, it was very clear that to her, um, at, at advancing her, her or their brand and building a movement or advancing a movement were like two sides. No, they weren't even two sides of the same coin. They were identical. It was the same thing. And I thought, okay, some of this might be uh, naivete about politics, but no matter what, if the reality is that we've gotten to a point now where people, some some people find find it impossible um, to consider that personal careerism and broad political goals or pursuit of broad, broad political goals aren't necessarily the same thing. Or yeah, yeah, people can't 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 imagine that. Then we're in really bad bad shape, and and from there you could just kind of predict where it's going, right? But, but it's not like you need to be um, a Swami or Nostradamus, right? I mean, you just put the pieces together, and I mean, consider um, um, you, you know the industrial logic that's at work. Um, among uh, among other things, you notice that like all of the um, powerful voices are people who are polished and ready for 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 MSNBC, and you can kind of see how things going. And like this is what the politics is, is at this point. Um, so it so like in that so I mean that's what got me primed right like in the midst of the lockdown uh, after George Floyd's murder to 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 see like you know, one announcement after another uh, from 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 a bevy of the most reprehensible corporate big corporations in in in, in America um, stepping up and kicking in to the racial justice fund and to Black Lives Matter right to the tune of of just a biscuit short of two billion dollars right in in, in, in the span of a couple of weeks, and then Goldman Sachs, that well well known like defender of the human yeah. justice, right. gender justice, all over the world, kicks up ten billion or sixteen billion uh, to to help black women create businesses. I mean, but n- none of that matters. And 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 like then you get to the really uh, trivial stuff, right? Like the Contretemps over whether Chadwick Boseman was the front runner for a posthumous Oscar. Mm. Well, what does any of that mean? Uh, I mean, how can it be a front runner? Uh, it was obviously an attempt to to to, to kind of talk it into existence. But more importantly, beyond that, and like this is what what I mean, some of the some some in the audience might might think this is me take, t- taking a break from beating up on. On David Duvernay, but 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 why should anybody care whether Chadwick Boseman wins at Oscar, dead or alive? Right? I mean, um, uh, it it, uh, it brings to mind uh, a comment that Langston Hughes made made about the Harlem Renaissance, and 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 he said, uh, you know, actually, most Negroes in Harlem, uh, I've never heard of the Harlem Renaissance, and if they did, it didn't raise their wages any. Right. So. Right. But here we are, and that's what politics is. Um, so, but I mean, um, you know, my close comrades and I talk about this 
stuff almost on a daily basis about how much uh, time it makes or or uh, uh, how much sense it makes to um, dedicate time to paying attention to what what goes on like in the nominal left uh, and it's uh, and it's discursive worlds and w- whether there's any reason like uh, I mean, to do it at all and uh, you know yeah I mean uh, not much is there like how would you so just before we get back to back to the Black Lives Matter question mm-hmm. like so the Harlem Renaissance obviously produced um, amazing stuff. So right. is it yeah. just that, is it about like distinguishing between that and like the, you know, a real working class, uh, like a real, a movement that's serious about class and about serious about exploitation, yeah. but, but they're not totally distinct, right? Because you do have yeah. some intellectual, I mean, like, right. I mean, even if if people don't know about necessarily Mm -hmm. like, you know, James Baldwin, there is some back and forth between cultural and and material worlds. I don't know. Yeah, going back to the Roman Renaissance itself, um, people like, well, Hughes. Right. um, And um, and and um, Sterling Brown um, um, and uh, and uh, uh, some of the artists like. Aaron Douglas and others. So I mean, there was, but it's not that so much as as as, as that. And um, and and it's good to have. Uh, it, it's good you give me an opportunity to to try to make this distinction. And so I'm kind of doing it on the fly. Well, I'm trying to specify it a little bit on the fly. But um, this it's partly the difference between a cultural movement, right? That was more or less indirectly, more or less or organically linked to um, a political in or to a politically in, in insurgent moment, uh, as well as a culturally right. insurgent moment, right? Like from the mid '30s, actually, uh, which is a little later than the Renaissance, technically speaking, um, versus this this thing that we've had for the last 25 or 30 years that projects cultural performance as a political movement. Right. right. And I mean, it, this was another long standing beef. Like that's funny. Like the only, um, music writing I've ever done was, um, I forget who approached me to do this. Oh, it, it was, um, um, it, it was a music editor, and I'm blocking on her name now. It might come to me later. At, at the Voice, mm-hmm. who who approached me to write a review of the soundtrack to um, a um, who did this thing? I'm looking it, it up. Uh, uh, huh? I'm trying to look it up to see if I can. Well, uh, well, the title of the piece was, I think, half a story told. It. And it was um, a two or three part thing on Ted, Ted Turner's network on the Great Migration, and and I think um, oh, what's his name from uh, Hampshire um, might have been the person responsible for. It. But anyway, like I wrote it, and I mean, well, one of the points I made in that was like, well, uh, you know, the thing is that there's this. Wait, it wasn't what are the drums saying, Booker? Is it no, that? No. Uh, no, no, uh, no. Uh, this was an entirely different piece okay. for an entirely different section. 
Um, yeah, in fact, I did one music bit and one sports piece for during my time at The Voice. And both times it was just um, that, 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 that the respective um, uh, section chief just, just got the idea that he or she thought it would be interesting to see what I would do with it. Uh, so like the sports guy didn't know that I was a basketball fan. Right. Uh, right. So I, so, so that was an article comparing Kobe Bryant and, 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 and um, you know, Allen Iverson uh, and, 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 and the cultural mythology they were trying to sell it on to them. Kobe was, you know, squeaky clean and Allen, what was a hood thug. Um, and the editor liked the piece, but he was totally surprised by what, what it was. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this music thing, thing thing was I pointed out that you know this there's there's this notion that had gotten out into the world that the music of uh, uh, popular music was a central motor in the civil rights and post civil rights black black struggle. Um, and, and that's kind of turning reality on its head, right? Um, because a number of the songs that subsequently got vested with deep political significance were pop songs that the movement took over, right? And invested that, them, them with that significance, like Aretha Franklin's Bridge Over Troubled Water. And, mm-hmm. and there were others like that, too. Um, but um, so, 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 so it's just kind of weird because you can see um, the, um, the shift away from seeing politics as seeing political action, right, and organizing, building um, bases and broadening them as what, what makes change happen, right? So, so like you could imagine then that, you know, people at you know, sit around and listen to change is going to come and get up and say, yeah, that's right. Change, change needs to come. So that's right. uh, like crazy. Great Sam uh, Cook song. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a great Sam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Cook song. And it was, well, so it wasn't that one. Uh, Cause that was one of his last, but there was one actually a, a one, one version of his song. Good news um, had a verse in it. Some something like well, I hear they're marching in, in uh, Montgomery or something. Oh yeah, or Birmingham maybe I forget which one. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean there were things things like that. But the more um, self consciously um, political and critical popular songs um, came out um, after the crest of the movement, right? Um, because I mean, I remember at the time, like, um, you, you know, um, uh, the Edwin Starr War song that was ostensibly uh, like an anthem of the anti-war movement. Yeah, it was all right, but though, like, there, there was a significant segment of the anti-Vietnam War movement that was to the left of of the sensibility in that song, uh, and people would turn up their noses at verses like, um, you know, they say we must fight to keep our freedom, but God knows or the Lord knows there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. That 
that was not a radical line in 1969 and 1970. Right. right? Uh, but anyway, don't go on about that bullshit. But no, it's I love it. This is really interesting. Um, but, um, but there's an so, and it would make sense, right, from uh, from a materialist perspective, that that the state of the struggle would call forth, uh, yeah, the artistic, um, right, well, right, the artistic. Um, expressions that were consonant with it, right? And not the other way around. But, and. Right, yeah. But, but alas, but, uh, you know, uh, um, but by the, but by, by, by the end of the 80s, you know, after the left had, had all got, um, had all gone to university, um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the order of things get, gets reversed. And I guess now that I reflect on it, Right, that's because of people who wrote music and studied music and uh, studied the study of music um, were um, uh, were writing the narratives, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, what one of my dad's sayings that that that, that I always loved was uh, um, the story of the lion hunt would be a different tale if the lion had a typewriter. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I mean, that's, that, that's one thing we forget about this stuff. Right. Um, speaking of which, just mentioning your dad, I got to ask, people ask this frequently. So tell us about the name Adolf. Well, I, I have said to um, a couple of young Beavis and Buckhead guys uh, and, and, and the Butthead guys who, who, who have written me uh, you know, uh, I'm out of the blue um, on the uh, email to ask about that. And my response has been, so so what part of junior do you not get? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. And my father was born in 1921. Uh, and he was at uh, D-Day in the Battle of the Balls. He wasn't happy about being either one of them. But well, when the war was over, he was more um, concerned on l- labeling what he uh, – giving – his label to what he assumed sure. to be uh, his d- DNA that, that than he was about Hitler. Cause in right. his mind anyway, he had had the name a good 15 years before Hitler had it. Yeah. Shouldn't right. let that guy ruin a great, a good name. Right. Totally not. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also, just... I mean, since we moved around a fair, uh, what with fair amount when I was a kid, um, I'll credit it with a couple things like uh, the name. And like I was, um, and you know, I was never somebody who sought the spotlight for anything. Right? I was always kind of a shy kid. Um, and and like most kids, I didn't want to be the center of attention ever. So from that perspective, like the So name, then you change your name legally to Benito. <laughs> oh, right. Exactly. I, yeah. Uh, in some ways, that would have worked better. Yeah. <laughs> I would have had a lot more Italian friends and 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 and, 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 and non-Italians would have known but um, but no, but uh, well, like it gave me a certain humility, and it also taught me how to fight, and that I couldn't avoid fighting. Right? It's like the bo- a boy named Sue. When that song came out when I was in college, I instantly what was it, drawn That's to. Really it. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, well, made off. <laughs> yeah. I was just curious if your dad. I mean, I don't mean this in a judgmental way. Like, do you, mm-hmm. did he did he think to himself like, oh. I, I'm like, I guess I'm curious what it was like then also, if it was like, 
if it was established enough of a name and Hitler was recent enough of a of a person so that it hadn't been like Hitlerized? Oh no, it was totally Hitlerized. It, to, it was okay. So yeah. did your dad uh, ever? Th- was he like? Did he no. think about it? No. He didn't. Yeah. No. No. Uh, that didn't cross cross his mind. Um, you know, the one place in the country where 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 I've seen um, um, the name commonly enough. Well, not like you see it in the New York area, like in one way, but you see it like in, in, in South Louisiana another way too, because like there's a French name. So. Right. And, and it's common enough that, you know, I mean, they didn't associate with it. But, so. Right. So, I mean, I actually got, got less of that in South Louisiana than I got like in other places that we lived. Yeah. And then, uh, now there was a moment when my son was about three, where he was genuinely hurt that he wasn't Adolf the Third, and I said to him, "That'll change." Yeah, you're going to grow out of that. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. What What is his name based on? Uh, his His name is based on uh, the uh, uh, on the trade union and uh, independence movement leader in French French Guinea. Uh, and uh, New Guinea was the only country in, in the French Empire. Like when the French um, uh, held um, a re- referendum right among their uh, in the remaining colonies, with three options, right, to become a department of France, like uh, Martinique and Guadeloupe, and what and what what they would have preferred for Algeria, uh, for Algeria, uh, or uh, to remain in in it. In the Francophone Imperial Federation or a complete independence, and Guinea was the only country that opted for complete independence. Oh, okay. So, so I mean, that was that. Yeah, Guinea would have been problematic too. Uh, that name. Yes, well, kind of the same way that Benito would have been, but not exactly. Yeah, not exactly. <laughs> well, I had a boyfriend whose name was um, Kike for Jorge. Oh my Kike. God. And uh, usually it's spelled Q-U-I-Q-U-E, but this one's right. name was spelled K-I-K-E. Oh, my God. Can you imagine me text, like, I would text people, like, I'm coming with K-I-K-E. <laughs> I, it was I, really funny. Yeah, I think you should have opted for a different spelling. I know. I tried to encourage that, yeah. <laughs> he was he was, he was was born and raised in Colombia, so he didn't have the context. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Still, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen... Kikos and Kikes in, in, in Central America too. Yeah, but, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, after all, what is Colombia except like a big grassy extension of Central America? Mm. No, uh, I have. I actually have never been there. I really want to go. Yeah, uh, no, uh, no, I haven't either. But, uh, so, do a Katie Helper show live taping there. Oh, cool! Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> And what are you working on now? How is retirement? Uh, okay, yeah, I'm finally starting to get it figured out. Um, I've I've actually got a book finished, and it should be going into production um, in the first part of May. Um, actually, with uh, Verso, um, and I've got um, three smaller co-authored books that also are going to be finished. Uh, I hope by the end of the summer. Um, and um, one with Walter Ben Michaels and one with Ken, Ken Warren. 
and shit, who's the third with? Um, oh yeah, yeah, I know it's a different project. Uh, and then like um, my my next objective is to finish my long suffering book with uh, Verso on the, uh, the decline and transformation of the left since oh, nice. the end of World War II. And all four of those should be um, done by the end of the calendar year. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But, which would be a relief. Great, awesome, yeah. Thank you, right, and, and yeah. we'll look out for your pieces and then have you on. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know that, 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 that I'm done with the New Republic, right? No. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, 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 they fired Chris, Chris Lehman, the editor, who brought me on and they and they replaced him with Michael Tomaski with oh. somebody referred to as uh, as a fantasy or, or as um, being connected with Biden, with Biden's election uh, because uh, they imagine being uh, what somebody referred to or being once again as uh, as a um, in-flight reading on Air Force One. Uh, yeah. but, but I'm like they were in the Clinton administration. Right. So, yeah, so I'm done. Like my, uh, you know, my last column was my last column, basically. Which, and which was that? Uh, well, I'll tell you, I'll send you a link to it. Okay, or, yeah. Or I'll send a PDF because it, it, it was kind of a fit, um, I'm a fitting one, pardon me. Um, it, it was a call for um, a public good approach um, to government. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Wow. So, oh, yeah. I didn't, how austerity Oh, wait. It's like right now. It's now yeah, now. Right. <gasps> All right, right. We're going to have to do another interview with you because I'm right. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't see that. Oh, that's fine. Um, so yeah, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to. Well, invite Tamaski T- on to give his feedback. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, well, I'll tell you what it would be cool to do it with Chris. With, oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, do it, yeah. anyway, no, no, it's your show. I'm not making. No, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, didn't hear you at first. I thought you said grist. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Like, yeah. Grist from the mill. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, here's the article. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I. We'll have to do that. Yeah. We could do a Nadolf Reed book club or article club. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tamaski from the Daily Beast. Right. Oh. Didn't he like he kind of like defended. I think he defended. Um. Wasn't he like calmed down about Hillary Clinton and Kissinger? I oh think yeah, I yeah. wrote that about yeah. him once. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean that's 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 Tomaski, right? And it's been like that for a long time. Wow. So Chris actually told me that he that if I wanted him to, he would put in a word for me to keep the column. And I said, well, look, I mean, a I came in with you. I should leave with you. Uh, like what he did with it um, was. Um, got me as well as a number of other people who, 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 whom I've heard this from uh, you have to read the magazine who haven't read it in more than 30 right. years right um, but um, and I thought there's no way I can you know, I would be Tomaski's cup of tea right wow you should have you should have done, done it like undercover share <laughs> screenshots of his edits or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah alright well um this has been great. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Great. Awesome. Thank you so right. much. Good night. Bye. Good night. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. 
To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper, Nick Palm, Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman, and our intern is Maria Trujillo. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time. <laughs>